Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Y'all, today is a very exciting day for me because, again, I'm bringing in the TikTok world, the social media world, where I get so much information and such good content into our podcast with the multi-talented. She's a historian, a documentarian, a musician, just overall multi-talent. So many things under her belt. Dara Star Tucker. Yay! Hey! Hi! (laughs) (laughs) And with that introduction, can you kind of tell our listeners about yourself? Well, yes, I, I mean, you kind of you kind of said it. I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. I think my bio says singer, songwriter, social media commentator and satirist. Yes. So I try to make it a little bit alliterative so that it's it's easy to to follow. But those are the essential things that I do. I, I am by trade a jazz singer and I have gotten into the social media space in the last three years or so on TikTok and now Instagram, Facebook. I'm, you know, just everywhere these days, kind of sharing my thoughts and feelings about pop culture, but then how how race and culture kind of intersect and intermingle with, with you know, all of the things that we spend our time consuming. And so then that's sort of veers into a little bit of the, the media literacy territory, which I love. And then I've shared some of my so-called deconstruction journey out out of traditional religion. I've shared some of that type of content. So yeah, I do a, a lot of things. A lot of things. <laughs> There's so much, and I, I love it. I'm not going to lie. Again, I'm so excited because I've been following you for a while now, and your TikTok is uh, so original. The content that oh, you produce you. and come out with is so thought-provoking and original, and it's just something that I feel like could be passed on to uh, my conservative family, that they would Mm. actually listen and have so much to think on because you give Mm -hmm. so much good context and information. But on top of that, you are so talented. Your rendition of Moon River, (gasps) it was gorgeous. (laughs) It was gorgeous. So yes, I obviously... 
am fangirling a little bit because <laughs> you are a woman of so many talents. Um, Thank you and so much. I know you have so much that you can tell us. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give our listeners a warning because you do have such great content. There's so many questions that we have. There's so many things that we want to ask you and and get your uh, opinions and expertise because again, have so much on your page, whether it is all this information of historical stuff or your satire of your mother. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. It's so, so good. But yeah, just, listeners be warned. Uh, you, If you've listened to the show before, you know me as the person who jumps all around anyway, but I'm super excited and you have so much. So yeah, that's probably going to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> And hopefully, hopefully, as I say, with my with my content, I hope that it lives together well. I think it, it does. You know, ultimately does. I think you get so much goodness with uh, a little bit of break of like uh, education as well yeah. as you got the break for funniness as well as that beautiful music. I'm like, yeah, Thank of course. Thank you so much. And then we're going to talk a little more about it later, but you're also a podcaster too. So yes. obviously you're part of yes. the fam. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, when it comes to your content, speaking of, how do you balance the education with the openness of your own personal experiences as well as highlighting your career? How do you balance all of that? Um, just the variety of content you're asking about. Yeah. You're, you're so much. <laughs> Honestly, I try to just, I try, it's going to sound really corny. But I try to lead with the heart. I really do. And I think, you know, until your uh, content becomes corporatized, for lack of a better word, you, you can do that. You can say, what type of content do I feel like creating today? And you can just create that. And that's the best part of what I do is that it really is an expression of all of these various parts of me you know, I wrestled and wrangled with myself um, even to get into the social media commentator space because I am a singer. You know, that was a challenge, you know, from in, in 2020. It was like I, I really wanted to speak out and I had so much to say. And it was like, well, people only know me as this. They really only know me as a singer. And are they going to accept me doing something else? And I was that I had a real fear. I had a real concern about even expressing that part of myself. But then, you know, I led with the heart when it came to entering that space. And that is really the thing. Um, I don't know how I quite feel about that, but that's the thing rather than my music that has <laughs> represented, you know, this this kind of explosion into the, you know, the, the social media space where a lot of people now know who I am. And so I have to, I just kind of have to take my cues from, from that. It's like, there was a, there was a leading, there was a guiding, there was an unction to use these religious words um, that told me like, Hey, this is your path. This is what you're supposed to do. And so I, I try to, I try to lead with that no matter what I do. And I've had, I have had literal um, social media management companies, you know, say, hey, we would be able to work with you if you were to just post this one kind of thing, if you were to just do this one thing. Like you, you're adding the music and the the comedy and this stuff is cool. And, you know, some people are enjoying it, but they're not finding it like they're finding these breakdowns. So, you know, if you could just focus on this one thing, then, you know, that could open you up to be able to get all of these sponsorships. And I just, I, I cannot subject myself to that type of of limitation because I know that that would be stifling to me. So I'm, I'm, I just enjoy what I do. And if, if things get too heavy and too intense with, 
talking about things like racism and, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing, then I, I can just do a sketch about my mom, like you said. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> wonderful. And, and then I'm happy again. <laughs> and that's, that's so interesting because we know when it comes to uh, social media, when it gets to bleak, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And, yeah. and one of the things that I know as we've come on to podcasting about feminism and women's issues and marginalized issues, it gets heavy very quickly. And mm-hmm. our listeners will take that, I guess, uh, are a part of that. But they also love the parts that we are really personal and breaking mm-hmm. down uh, the realities of who we are. And that means seeing our sense of humor and seeing our backgrounds and seeing mm-hmm. what we love. So boo on the social media people. They're wrong. Right. <laughs> Tell them that, okay? Them <laughs> and sorry. I appreciate all that content. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. That's the coolest thing when people come along to a post of me singing or a post mm-hmm. of me doing some silly sketch about, you know, I have a character called Shelby's mom yes. who just stands hilarious. at the door and, <laughs> yes, and yammers at her daughter about being too woke and, you know, all of this silly <laughs> stuff. But I, I, it's really cool when people know me for, you know, these breakdowns that talk about, you know, uh, whatever, racial inequity and, and mm. these deep cultural issues, and then they see this ridiculous thing that I'm posting here. <laughs> I'm, you know, putting on a wig and playing my mother and just <laughs> being just utterly silly. And they're like, what? Weren't you the same person who was just talking about, you know, whatever it is, um, right. uh, gerrymandering yesterday? Right. And they're like, oh, this is really cool. But it takes a minute, I think, yeah. sometimes for people to kind of go, what, you know, uh-huh. and then if they can embrace uh, the totality of who you are and what you have to offer, then just, you know, they just relax into it. Then it yes. just becomes like, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, what she's doing today. This is right. somebody that I appreciate and who has a, a voice that I, you know, want to pay attention to. I appreciate her perspective, w- whatever she's doing. And yes. I'm just kind of here for it. That's the coolest thing yes. for me. And yes. we do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but yes, you are a celebrated, award-winning musician, and you do share your love of music with your followers, um, including like a lot of really behind-the-scenes stuff that's really cool, um, like on episodes on women around like Martha Mears or Marty Nixon, like ghost singers. It's really, really fascinating. Um, so when you look at the history of women like these, what are some of the things that you find the most fascinating, and why do you think that stories like those are so important to tell? Well, I mean, you mentioned uh, Marnie Nixon, who is no, who was known as Hollywood's, you know, greatest ghost singer. She did uh, singing for Natalie Wood in West Side Story. She sang for, um, I believe, Audrey Hepburn in uh, My Fair Lady, and uh, Deborah Carr in The King and I. And she was kind of known as this, you know, person behind the scenes that was known by Hollywood, but wasn't known by the general public. And it was like one of those kind of open secrets that these actresses were not really singing for themselves. And then you have someone like uh, Martha Wash, who did the singing for uh, the song, you know, Everybody Dance Now, the CNC Music Factory. Um, And that was one of my biggest videos last year. Um, That's where a lot of people came to know who I am because of talking about her. But she's a plus-size Black woman who, who did this hook, this very famous hook, and sang on a bunch of other stuff that people know, like house music and was kind of under-acknowledged. So I think when, you know, we're talking about women like this who who have been kind of the voice behind the voice for women that were 
perceived as more attractive, more palatable for the general public, um, and who never got their just due, I think there's a there's a point of identification that a, that a lot of people have with that because, um, you know, who who among us has not felt like, well, well, if I just had this, if I just, you know, if I were just more this or less that or whatever, then people would see me. They would see my talent. They would see my beauty. They would know that I have all of these things to offer. Um, I, th- I think we've all felt that way to some degree, uh, boxed in by life, boxed in by, by uh, expectations, especially if you have a career in media in, in any respect or have, have, have aspired to have a career um, in media. So I think there's just, it, those stories feel very personal. I think any story that I do, and I tend to be attracted to those stories about uh, people who were uh, cast aside or who were not not given something that they maybe should have had. I did a story on a man named Eric Monte who was a black man who wrote for a couple of Norman Lear shows and who felt that he was cheated out of uh, a lot of the credit and the profits that he should have had. And those stories really spark, um, you know, something in people. It's just this. And I, I have gotten flooded with with people reaching out saying the same thing happened to me and I did this. And, you know, this credit was taken away from me. It's just it's just a universal um, topic, I think, that just it just hits a lot of people very, very viscerally. It's true. And, you know, speaking of, uh, one of the most famous incidents inside my lifetime, uh, outside of the Millie Vanilli controversy, of course, is the CNC Music Factory (laughs) controversy. I remember when that all came out and everybody was like, that was not her singing Mm -hmm. with Martha Wash. Uh, Again, you do an an amazing breakdown of that incident, and it really highlights the prejudice within the industry. She's a plus-size black woman, and they were trying to kind of hide her. Do you think the prejudices are still present today in the music industry? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all it would take is just kind of seeing seeing what's what is amplified, what is celebrated. I mean, people always point to like Lizzo, oh, but we have Lizzo now, yeah. and it's great that we do, and it's great that there are other uh, plus size. Um, heroes that we have that we can look to because it certainly is better than it was when I was young. Uh, But I don't think it has changed that much. I think we have Mm -hmm. some very important exceptions that are out there. But I think, you know, those same rules still still apply. And I think people will always be drawn to what they feel is beautiful. And those in power will always be in the position to define what that is. And so I just, I don't think that that will ever fully go away, but I'm I'm thankful that there are some very important uh, exceptions, that there is a a body positivity and body acceptance movement that is much more mainstream than it was even 10 years ago. Um, So we can't deny that there has been progress, but oh yeah, that those, those standards still exist today. Right. rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. 
Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. You know, and, and going into deeper conversations about like uh, massage noir within both hip hop and uh, both uh, R&B, do you think that that is being spoken out more recently, maybe because of Megan Thee Stallion, or is it just the same as it was and we're just knowing a word? Does that question make sense? (laughs) I think, you know, I think there have always been those folks who have been willing to talk about that and, um, you know, have been just speaking out about a variety of topics. It's just funny because now there's TikTok, now there's social media, and now we have a community of people who can get together and say, oh, wait, you noticed that? I noticed that too. And this is my point of view. And this is how I experience it. And this is the thing that I noticed that that maybe other people didn't get this kind of nuanced thing about. So that's the beauty of where we are now is that we are having national conversations that everyone can participate in. And so I think we can help to move the ball forward at a much faster rate, at least amongst people who who give a crap, you know. Um, and there's always going to be that element of people who just, you know, deny that there's a problem or, or are actively uh, participating in, in perpetuating those problems. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's really cool that conversations about uh, massage noir in in uh, hip hop in R and B are happening, but I you know I think the problem it feels to me that the problem is is has not really gotten much better unfortunately right, right. yeah well so, something else we wanted to talk about you also did a really cool breakdown on the Elvis movie um, and the amazing musician Big Mama Thornton um, can you talk about that and her life and her contributions uh, Big Mama Thornton yeah she was she put out. Hound Dog in 1952, and it was written by Lieber and Stoller. These are two Jewish guys who wrote this song, this incredible blues song, for her. They wrote this for Big Mama Thornton, and she was a blues singer um, who was just, she was plus-size black woman, just big body. I mean, you know, when you hear her version of Hound Dog, it's just, it's unlike if you have never heard 
her original version of it. It's just, it's it's so completely unlike um, Elvis Presley's version. But there were a couple of groups that uh, covered Hound Dog after her. And I'm thinking it was Freddie and the Freeloaders that did a version of it that Elvis ended up hearing. And then he later covered it, as did many people. But of course, his version became the iconic version that most people know. Uh, Big Mama Thornton's version was a hit in, in uh, 1952. So it, it wasn't as though, you know, she she got absolutely no recognition from it, but she, she did not make a lot of money from it. It was definitely relegated to the R&B world, which at that time would have been called race music. It was not played on mainstream radio and she did not become some, you know, international phenomenon in the way that Elvis Presley did uh, for for recording Hound Dog. So, you know, the the whole Elvis Presley conversation just is it's just with one of the the topics I think that that gets the most feedback <laughs> in the comments. Um, yeah, there he's one of those people that just will always have just avid fans that feel the need to jump to his defense. And, you know, my feelings about Elvis are very complex. I'm an, I am actually an Elvis fan. I mm-hmm. like Elvis Presley. And mm-hmm. that is, is almost a, a curse. That's, that's like a, a scarlet letter right. um, in the black community. You just don't say that. And <laughs> I don't say it that much, but <laughs> occasionally I will cop to uh, being a huge Elvis fan growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's important to examine questions of, and I think you were speaking of the breakdown that I did on the subject of cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's important to talk about topics like that. And Elvis just being, you know, just the number one uh, representative of the idea of cultural appropriation, whether that's deserving or not, he was the most, he just was the most famous. He was the one that benefited from it um, more than anyone. Right. Um, even if he personally was not uh, necessarily antagonistic in his his treatment of black people. He had a lot of, there were a lot of black musicians that actually appreciated him mm-hmm. and they embraced him and they thought he was talented. Uh, but then there's the other side of things where, you know, he essentially took his sound from a black man named Roy Hamilton. If people mm-hmm. are not aware of who Roy, Roy Hamilton is, um, just take some time to uh, to look him up on YouTube and you will know where Elvis's sound came from. Um, there was a writer named Otis Blackwell that Elvis ended up getting um, partial credit for for writing All Shook Up and a couple of other songs that Otis Blackwell wrote. And um, Elvis sounds an awful lot like him, too. There's a mm-hmm. performance of his that's on YouTube where you can hear, you know, hear what he would have sounded like singing the demo for Elvis. So, you know, it's it's a multi-layered thing. Um, and no, I didn't like the Elvis movie, if that's what you were specifically asking about. <laughs> I did not like it. <laughs> I will say I've never reasons. seen it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, saying that we're Elvis fans, I felt guilty because I actually did watch all of his movies as a kid. I loved wow. musicals. Wow. I loved yeah, all the things. Um, <laughs> and then looking back, it's like, like even feminist, you're like, oh man, he right. dated young babies and that is real gross. Like right. looking at him historically, you're like, he is not a good dude. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind yeah. of that whole conversation in... like. Music is the prime example of cultural appropriation slash stealing mm-hmm. and erasure of black history, uh, which we know the origination did come from the black community. Like we know mm-hmm. all of music where it came down to it is taken from mm-hmm. one culture. When we talk about this, how do we do this in a respectful way where we 
yes, we like some of these music. K-pop is one of those things that I think about too, because right now that's a point in terms. Yes, this is cultural appropriation mm-hmm. to an extent. And so the kind of like that fine balance of like, how do we learn to appreciate at this, and, and acknowledge the origination, but still like these maybe problematic things? Yeah, I did, um, as I said, a breakdown called you know, cultural appropriation versus appreciation, which that that's been one of the more popular ones that I've done. Cause I think, you know, these are subjects that if you, if you just look them up in the, you know, the encyclopedia definition or the dictionary definition, you can, um, you know, make, draw one conclusion, but they are nuanced subjects that really have to be discussed sometimes on a case by case basis. And it's not always, the answers are not always straightforward. The lines are not always black and white, um, no pun intended. But, you know, these conversations have to be had amongst people who are deeply plugged into the culture and are deeply aware of of historical context. And I think when you remove, especially something like K-pop, from its historical context, then it's you know, well, why are you guys getting so upset over this? Well, people borrow from each other all the time. And, you know, it's people exchange cultures and ideas and black people have taken this and, and it just becomes, you know, a big, a big wash. It's just like, well, why are you mincing over such silly things until you really step back and start to examine the history, as you said, of where a lot of, you know, the music that, that we call just popular music, where that really originated. And I did another video called um, Who Invented Rock and Roll? And it's literally just a, a delineation, just a, a kind of a, um, a linear delineation of the history of rock and roll. And I, there's just so much that we take for granted. We just kind of assume that certain things rose up from the earth and that they're just here because when, you know, by the time we got here, it was all here. It was like we were just all kind of partying and hanging out and enjoying what we were enjoying. And you don't really think about the roots of it. So I, I think it's important, uh, me being a musician, that when you you enter into that sphere, regardless of the kind of music that you're doing, that you really do take time to become uh, a student of music history, of the the history of the, the the culture or the environment in which you are creating that art. And it's it's hard for young kids if you're 14, 15, 16 years old, and you're a K-pop artist or you're someone who enjoys K-pop. It's it's it takes time to really become a scholar. It takes time to become knowledgeable about these things. So I, I just have to remember, you know, where I was at 14 or 15 years old. I didn't know. You know, I barely knew anything that I know now. Um, But I think we just, we have to emphasize education. uh, And that's, you know, just in terms of of musicality, um, just period. I think our music would be better if people were better educated about music. Um, And I think that um, musical expressions would be much more respectful and much more meaningful if people were educated about the history of where their music came from. And so, you know, you you can't you you cannot force the curiosity. Mm-hmm. You can't force people to care mm-hmm. about something. We just we have to keep talking about these things and hopefully causing, you know, sparking conversations and you know, there's just so there's so much 
uh, I'll just use the word ignorance. There's so much ignorance out there around this stuff. And it's things, things that I take for granted that it's like, oh, well, you know, everyone knows that uh, rock and roll originated in the black community. Everybody knows that rock and roll started with jump blues and, and jump blues came from the blues and that this was something that was developed in the South by black musicians who, you know, who had nothing and they were poor. And, you know, everyone knows this, but no, everyone mm-hmm. doesn't know this. A full grown people don't know this, you know, it's it's just not something that's commonly discussed. So yeah, I think we just, we have to become, you know, as curious as, as possible, especially as, as artists and musicians. Right. And with you tackling these large topics, uh, such as history and music and all of that, I know you have your uh, fair share of trolls who oh, yeah. have to come through. Um how do you deal with that? That's the question I have to ask all of the social media creators. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's it's bad. The the yeah, it's it's bad. There's a lot of negativity in the comments. I can't say that I that I'm an expert on how to deal with it. When I first started, because uh, I my my first huge video about the uh, the Aunt Jemima controversy, and that was bad. It was like a couple of years ago, actually. This month, they were getting ready to come up on probably the the second or third, I guess the third anniversary of of that video, that Aunt, uh, Aunt Jemima should not be whatever on the cover of a pancake box. Um, and that was the worst. And when I, when that first video first blew up, um, it was just flooded. It was flooded by just hatred, just vitriolic racism. It was, it was terrible. And all of this over a pancake box that supposedly, according to a lot of these people, was just inconsequential. It shouldn't matter. What's the big deal? But then, you know, it's, it's igniting all of this, this fury. And so, which is obviously coming from some, some place other than being upset about the branding changing on their, their, their pancake mix. Um, But at first, I think I felt obligated to be super gracious and to keep up this sort of dignified appearance. I had someone, I'm, I'm just now starting to post this stuff in the last year or so on Facebook. So my Facebook is kind of just catching up with a lot of my other social media. And of course you have an older audience over there. And I had someone comment, you know, cause I had clapped back at someone. Um, and he said, well, you should just, you should be more professional. Oh, you should be ashamed. You should be more professional. I said, why should I be more professional? I have no obligation to be professional in the comments, you know, with, with the, the, the way Way that some people come come at me. No, I do not feel an obligation uh, towards professionalism. I do not represent an organization. I don't represent any sort of a company or or, or any corporate interests of any kind. I am a human being who is sharing knowledge, and if people choose to be disrespectful, then I can handle that in any way that I choose. Now, I don't curse people out. I don't call people names generally, if they are behaving in a particular way, I may say, well, this is this. You are exhibiting this. And I will call a thing a thing. But I don't, you know, I don't call people out of their name. Um, so I've I've kind of relinquished myself of the need to to be anything other than what I actually am. And I want people to know this is this is a different philosophy than a lot of people um, will will uphold, which is if you feel the need to, to clap back at somebody in that moment, say what you have to say, because holding on to that and just internalizing that and allowing it to just fester and grow, that is extremely unhealthy. 
So I've started, you know, people will come back and say, well, you need to just rise above it and take the high road. And, you know, don't worry about these trolls. You're above them and you really shouldn't. No, absolutely not. That <laughs> approach, that approach was, was making me, um, it was just making me crazy. It really was. And it's like, no, you have the right to respond. If you choose to, in that moment, you have the right to respond. Now, the other side of that is we have to protect our energy. And if you do not have to have inclination or time to engage with people who are uh, sea lioning or who are time wasters or who are com- being completely out of pocket and disrespectful and who are not interested in any sort of real intellectual exchange, you know, I know how to block and delete. And I, I spend some time blocking and deleting. Um, but if, you know, if someone comes in and says, hey, this information is incorrect and you're wrong and you're just, you are this, you know, this personal attacks. And if I feel the, the need to respond, I will do that. I have absolutely no problem responding. And I have relinquished the need to protect any sort of reputation or image that anyone has of me. Because if, you're, if your image of me was that I would not respond to you, well, then you're going to get a wake-up call today. You're going to get some new information to take with you. I love it. And you know what? Your clapbacks have always been gracious, like with the more like education, Thank you. which is more than they deserve. Like it really has been. Thank you I for was always impressed. <laughs> I acknowledge every bit of that because I'm like, okay, you look at that. Because you literally come back with, let me help you right. in your ignorance with this more information. And I'm like, all right. She's got this. Right. <laughs> so, yes, I think it's gracious. Right. Uh, and I love how you're talking about energy and space because we did come up on your article, uh, the 2016 Huffington Post article, the oh. Here's to the Ladies Who Cuss. Wow, are they, yes. are they a blast? I uh, loved it. I loved it. Uh, which aligns with Thank a lot you. about what we talk about, about learning to take up space or, or being just being there and being in the space and not being apologetic about it. Yes. And also, you do talk about religion, which we really want to get into because that is is something that has haunted myself and I think Annie would say yeah, that too where we have been so traumatized about what being a godly good woman meant which mm. oftentimes meant being little um, yes. and in that article you write but as a fully formed adult I have begun to understand that it is not only my option but my obligation to occupy that space which you know I'm, I'm, I love this brings me to this question how did you get to that point? How were you able to say this in, in that moment of like, I am finally ready or I finally acknowledge this is what I need to do? Oh, well, it's such a, <laughs> so funny that you bring that up. That was 2016. I haven't yeah. read that article in years. <laughs> um, <laughs> we found you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope you didn't find anything else that would be like incriminating for me. I don't know what all is out there. Surprise ending of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Expose right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been such a journey. Um, I I I have to apologize in advance for using the word uh, journey excessively um, <laughs> because it's just one of those cliches that I just giggle at when I hear it. But anyway, it's been a journey <laughs> yes. um, to to myself, and I'm sure most people, especially most women, can recognize that process. It's a lifelong progression to to get to yourself simply because you know if you grew up in a, a hyper religious environment in the way that I did and in the way that a lot of people did the what you're taught is to is to place layers on top of yourself and those layers are placed up on you before you even begin to to gain consciousness of who you are in the world 
And so once I realized that my job, that that was my job, that that is the goal to to get to the core of who you are, that was an eye-opening point in life. It was like, oh, okay, so if I just sort of weirdly flag my nose in the face of what you are telling me that I'm supposed to be or want or do or think or say, like... I will actually find freedom and redemption and joy and peace. And wait a minute, this is weird. And it was just kind of a, you know, it was kind of just like baby steps. And that probably started to happen in my late 20s. And it was a very, it was just a very kind of slow, tedious thing to sort of begin to very slowly peel off those Restraints, and I, I've, I'm involved in in the deconstruction community on TikTok, and I've watched um, some people who are who are younger than I am, and who are not at the place that I am in their de- deconstruction journey, and they've done this, they've they've taken. Um, They've undertaken this process in a matter of just, you know, a year, a year and a half, two years, three years. You know, in 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, they were ardent evangelicals who were attending church and leading praise and worship every Sunday. And then by 2021, a year later, they are speaking out and just doing activism in the LGBTQ community or whatever. I'm like, how in the world did you make this progression so quickly? Because for me, it was, you know, it was a period of just, uh, it's it's still underway. But I mean, this was a process that started in my, probably my late teens of just like, you know, this is, this is oppressive. This, this cloak that I have been raised under, this is a, an oppressive, weighty thing. And it's just a slow process of giving yourself permission to, to, to find the, you know, the truth and the core of, of, uh, of who you are. And the, 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 the genesis of that, uh, for me, and this is a very personal journey that I have been on. Um, was was I mean I mean the 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 real core of the work started when my parents died, and they both died in 2014. And so I noticed after that, you know, as as horribly tragic and sad and difficult and you know just life altering that that was. I started to notice that after that happened. I was started to experience a different kind of freedom within myself to just be all of who I am. And, you know, that article was written in 2016. So the timing of that is not a coincidence. Um, I wish I had given myself that permission sooner because I feel like, I, you know, I really wish my parents could have seen you know, more of the manifestation mm-hmm. of, of who I am in the world. Uh, but I needed that. I, I needed the release that happened when they um, left. And so then after they after they passed, it was like, well, I know that uh, speaking out and whatever, even writing that article, for goodness sake, it was like, <laughs> you know, I think I ended up by saying something about not giving a, a bleep. I won't say that because it'll be bleeped here. Um, and I'm not even really someone who cusses, which is hilarious to, to have written an article like that. But... You know, I if my parents were around and I had written an article like that, I would have been mortified for them to see that. But, you know, once they were gone, it was like, well, aunties, uncles, 
cousins, friends of my parents, because my parents were ministers. Uh, my grandmother was a pastor, a holiness Pentecostal pastor. It was like, I can deal with those tangential people being disappointed in me. I could not deal with my parents being disappointed in me. I could not deal with it. Um, and I knew that to a degree, you know, half the decisions I was making were not ones that they would have, would have made for me, but I just couldn't really, you know, make the leap fully until they were gone. Um, so my whole philosophy at this point in my life now, you know, post, you know, having parents is, is that it, it is my job at times to disappoint people. That's a process that I go through daily. And I tell any woman in particular, women, this is this oftentimes is our hang up. But I, I tell younger women as often as I can, your job in life at times will be to disappoint people. You have to start to get comfortable. It is it's really hard, but you have to start to get comfortable with the idea of letting people down and disappointing people because that process will never stop. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're trying to live up to expectations, you're going to disappoint people. If you are flagging your nose in, in the face of expectations, you're going to disappoint people. So if you can be proactive about that and just get ahead of it and say, no, I'm going to wake up today and realize my job is to disappoint people. If you're not disappointing somebody today, then you're not doing it right. You are not making any decisions at all if you're not disappointing somebody. Okay, that feels like an encouragement as uh, my parents and I are not <laughs> in the same boat <laughs> on most things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer... Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
Is it obvious that you are a songwriter <laughs> in, the, no. in this post that you did? Because I want to read this. Uh, it is towards the end, um, but not the damn part. Which you can say damn. Apparently, that's not one of the okay. extreme words okay. on our... I didn't know either until I started podcasting. I was like, I can say that one, but I can't say this. Okay. Uh, but uh, it says, in the coming year, I will be more loving and I will be kinder. I will also stake a claim in my own life. I am compelled to make room for myself I will not always be pleasing or appropriate, but I will blossom. Again, mm. you're obviously a poet-songwriter. That was right there in that one. I hope you're proud, proud of your own writing. Uh, because that's such a statement in yeah. talking about taking a stake in yourself. And as you're talking about, you know, you're going to disappoint someone. Mm-hmm. Do you feel in, in your journey, I'm going to say it too, in your journey as you have blossomed, what would be the advice for uh young people today slash the marginalized? Because we have a lot of 20-something listeners and 30-something listeners. What would be something that you would tell them in learning to take up space? How how would you advise them to go forward with that? Um, well, as I said, just just that, just engaging, actively engaging in the process of, of letting other people down. It sounds, it almost sounds like uh, negative advice, but it is, it's really, it's, it's positive advice. It sounds, it's, it's, it is, it's paradoxical. In, in learning how to release the expectation of always being pleasing. That's, you know, I, I was a church, I was a church girl. I was raised to be a church girl. And, and I know this is not just exclusive to the church, but we were taught to be obedient. I mean, obedience was a lesson that my mother taught daily. We knew all of the scriptures around, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice and uh, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And those lessons and obedience were just hammered away. And I understand, you know, my mother had seven children. I understand why she felt the need to really, you know, turn us into these almost like robotic creatures. <laughs> we were just ready to step in line, you know, at a moment's notice. I, I get it. But, you know, to take those attitudes into adulthood can open us up to some very dangerous um, situations. Um, I can only, we were very well protected, but I can only imagine um, the dangers that could have existed for me if we weren't as sheltered as we were. To so Because to be taught to be that obedient and then to be exposed to the world, you know, there was a a period of time where I had left my parents' home and I still had that mentality. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's a, that's a, it's a really dangerous brew um, to just step out into the world going, okay, you know more than I do. You know better than I do. Please tell me where to stand and where to be and what to say and what to do. I, it's just, you know, it's un- unconscionable really when I think back on it. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't suffer more trauma than what I did. I can't say that all of my brothers and sisters were that fortunate. You know, I, I don't feel that I ever suffered abuse in true abuse um, in the world, but um, my I, I have siblings who did. And so uh, we have to we have to be self-protective and we have to learn how to, to to begin to draw boundaries in our own lives. And you have to set up those parameters um, individually and you know, no one can really tell you what those those parameters should be. You you have to make those decisions um, on your own, and so unfortunately, sometimes that can leave us in in a place of of um, isolation, maybe temporary, hopefully temporary, because permanent isolation is not um, it's not healthy. 
But if there are periods of time in our lives where we have to remove ourselves from people who do not understand those boundaries, then then you, you got to do it for the period of time, you know, that that's necessary. I mean, I had to move away. I had to move away from my hometown and um, just really begin to quiet the voices, quiet all of those external voices. Because in the world, you know, in the church world, my God, there's just nonstop people yapping in your ear and wanting to tell you um, how things should be. Like mm-hmm. if they could crawl in your brain, <laughs> at least they would my, be there. Right, in my world, <laughs> right. it was that intense. We didn't just yeah. go to church. It wasn't just some polite um, experience of right. like, we're going to put on our nice clothes and just sit here and sing a few songs and open the Bible and have encouragement and go home. It was like, no, this is like morning, noon, and night. This is mm-hmm. this is the core of who you are. Mm-hmm. And so I I had to get out I had to remove myself and I felt guilty, you know, at the beginning of that process. I felt guilty for leaving. Me leaving home was Mm -hmm. a traumatic experience. I had a knockdown drag out with my father Mm -hmm. that I never thought I would have in my life just just from leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did it uh, for survival. I knew that I had to I had to do that. So, you know, you're worth fighting for, I would say. If you're you're if I'm speaking to to, you know, uh Gen Z young women, uh, millennials, whatever, you're worth fighting for. You have to you have to believe that. And it's not always going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. It will not always be just the most beautiful zen experience of self-discovery and you know <laughs> wandering through the thicket and i know sometimes sometimes it's like you got to get out that sword yeah. and you got to start cutting cutting out the you know the weeds and the, the you, you just it's sometimes it's just ugly mm-hmm. but you're you're worth the process and you you have to believe that yeah, I love that. Um, and yeah, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what you've been talking about, especially with religious trauma. We're actually working on an episode, so we're going to have to bring you back maybe for that yeah, conversation hey. itself <laughs> because the way that religious trauma has affected women over the past forever, yeah. um, and now it's kind of coming back with the whole uh, Christian nationalist idea. Mm-hmm. We're not going all into that, but there's a lot to be said what, um, when it comes to religious trauma and it was, what it does to marginalized people, mm-hmm. specifically specifically women, um, and those who uh, have suffered throughout being told, uh, you must obey, you must mm-hmm. become a servant to yes. A, B, C, and D. Um, but you're also... A big part of the community because you've talked about deconstruction quite a Mm -hmm. bit now. And I love this. I love seeing this on social media because like you, I had a huge journey in ripping myself away because I really thought I was going to be a missionary. I was thinking that Mm. my life was to serve this way because I had to be grateful for being quote unquote saved. You know, that's such a thing that like plagues you. And even today, like I still can't quite let that trauma go, that that, uh, feeling of I'm not grateful enough. Mm. But seeing these people coming together, yourself as well as so many others, come into this community and talking about what that looks like yes. and learning to let that go is mm. such a powerful tool. But it really can, is. You, can you kind yeah. of talk about that uh, for us and what that looks like and what that community is and, and how we can be a part of it? <laughs> yeah, the deconstruction community on TikTok. This is like something I did when I started my so-called deconstruction journey. <laughs> Somebody needs to put a counter up <laughs> 
We can make it a game somehow. (laughs) A drinking game or something. A journey drinking game. Um, You know, when I started my deconstruction process in my 20s, I, that word didn't even exist, not mm-hmm. in relation to religion. Nobody was talking about deconstruction. It was just, I was just rebellious, you know, or as my, my grandmother, who's, who was a Pentecostal minister, she would say rebellious, mm-hmm. you know, if you, <laughs> if you veered off the path, you just rebellious, you were backsliding <laughs> yep, and backsliding. you to come home, you know? <laughs> and so you were in, it, it, you were in danger. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it was. It was like there was no organization around it at all. We knew people who had backslidden. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, there. I remember um, when we were very young and we always attended Christian schools. Parents always had us in either Christian school or homeschool. But there was... Um, a man who who ran like a, a private Christian school. It was kind of a real small uh, school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I was um, partly raised. And he, uh, we were thinking of switching, our parents were thinking of switching schools and not, you know, having us in the same school that we had uh, mostly grown up in. And we were like, well, can we go to this this other school? I think it was all Bread of Life or something like that. And, and uh, I remember my father saying, well, baby, he called us babies. He called us all his babies. <laughs> well, babies, uh, the pastor of, of Bread of Life is he's backslidden. He's backslidden. And it was there was just this like, oh, this darkness <laughs> that just came over the entire guard. It was like, oh, oh my God. You know, I mean, he might as well have just fallen off into the abyss. It was just that was when I first became aware of that. I mean, I knew the word, but to know someone who was so, you know, who we thought of as such a pillar of like, man, this is a pastor who runs a Christian school, and you're telling me that he can just not be saved anymore. And so there was there was just no worse thing that could happen to you. So now to be a part of a community of people who are, as you said, just having conversations around the trauma that can uh, be uh, passed down through this kind of dogmatic, you know, religious, these, these experiences is just, I mean, it's just so eye-opening. It's just kind of breaks you open and it's like, wow, this, there's so many common experiences that we have and it really helps you to put the puzzle pieces together. It's like, this isn't just me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just rebellious. <laughs> I'm not out here just kind of, you know, veering off the path and potentially, you know, getting gobbled up by, um, you know, dragons or something. Like this is this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's so amazing. And so I think you know the TikTok algorithm. <laughs> It knows you. It starts to figure out. (laughs) It starts to figure out who you are and what you're about very soon. So that was not content that I ever sought out. I, I never. I wasn't really looking for content around that. But obviously. It started to feed things to me and it realized, you know, um, what I was about. And I think I I did a video on these, what are called tracks, T-R-A-C-T-S, these uh, witnessing tracks that that used to be used in in our evangelical circles. And uh, they were called chick tracks. And I just did a video on them and kind of talked about the history of them and, and the person who put them out. And there's really some kind of sinister stuff behind these things. 
And I think because of that, you know, they they realized that, well, I ended up attracting, I think, a lot of the evangelical people and they just kind of latched on to my content. And I think the other thing I think is because I do a lot of work around um, kind of anti-racism, because a lot of these people who are deconstructing and who have been in evangelical spaces are also doing work around kind of decolonizing their faith and realizing how much of this, as you said, this white nationalism kind of gets mixed in with with evangelical Christianity. I think a lot of them just naturally found my content. So it's been really cool to connect with that community. I I participated, I actually helped to organize um, a, an online conference called Decon um, last year or this earlier this year, I think. And I was one of the speakers. The topic that I spoke about was called Letting Go of Hell. And so it was all about just how this fear of hell is just drilled into us at a very early age and just, you know, end times and rapture stuff and just how that, you know, kind of thing is used to to really um, instill just just a lot of fear, just, you know, not not as they say, the fear of God, but just like literal fear into you um, from an early age. And so, you know, it's been it's been a really liberating thing. I'm I'm sort of sort of out of the closet, I guess, as a deconstructing (laughs) (laughs) Christian. I love it. I love it. Yeah, there's so much to that conversation uh, when you look at the content. And especially, again, like when we talk about women, because breaking down uh, how a lot of the Western religion really hate women. Like they really do everything they can to demoralize women Mm -hmm. and making sure that they are subservient. And of course, there's a giant agenda to that. But to let go of that and realizing that that is misinformation for so many things. Like there's religion in itself, uh, faith in itself is not the problem necessarily, Mm -hmm. but what has been made out of it. And so many things that we see that is seeping into our politics today is Mm -hmm. just unnerving. It is, Mm -hmm. I guess right now, especially, I know we've been through this before, but it feels like, how are we back here again? Yeah. You know, and seeing other people talking about this is not right. It's always so encouraging to see really and is. having someone to uplift that. Hey, this is the other side. Let's 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 look at that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. It's very encouraging. I mean, it, you know, as, as it pertains to so many things, you know, just having a community of people mm-hmm. who help you to know that you're not, you know, you're not off the wall. You're not crazy. It's like, right. yes, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I'm not the only one who's experiencing this. It's yeah, it's so comforting. And yeah, to also have, again, because one of the biggest things for me when I walked away from that was losing community. I felt like yes. I lost such a giant part of myself. Yes. And that means a big, giant group of people that I considered friends and family. Mm-hmm. So when you walk away from that, you feel so alone. So knowing, yeah. I love that you and, and then the others have come together to make a community, which makes you feel like, oh, we're together. I'm not right. alone. It's not this this where I felt like I got such a huge divorce and I lost right. I lost the you know the main part of everything. It, yeah. it does. It felt like it's such a, a an amazing moment to see that that you're being heard and you're being seen. Yes, it 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 is. It's that's a that's a huge part of I think why a lot of people never really cut that cut those ties 
because it really is, especially for Black folks, you know, that that community thing with with church, church has played such a, a pivotal role historically in the Black community, just in terms of it's just been a, a, a meeting point, you know, a com- community center kind of environment and um, town square. And it's it's just it's it has substituted for so, so much um, with us. And, you know, can still can still play that role. But I think that the there are a lot of people now who are who are, who are actively addressing some of the more toxic parts of, of that environment. Yes. And we would say one of them is you. <laughs> and, uh, throughout, I feel like you've answered this throughout, but you definitely don't shy away in your content from hard questions around race or politics or religion. Why do you think that it's so important that we do address those things and we do talk about those things? Um, well, I guess, as we've been saying, just the the idea of, of, of having a sense of community around around these things. I mean, you know, it, it's to, to hear someone reinforce something that you already knew in the back of your mind or, or to hear someone say it in a way that makes it that that allows it to kind of lock in and and I hear that a lot from people it's like sometimes people will write me they will inbox me and say you know I I can't remember what you were quite saying about this and I'm having a conversation with my dad about this or I was trying to tell my friends about this thing that you were saying and you know can you help me to to just address this this finer point of whatever and it's like yeah, here's the information. Or they'll say your video just, it, it said it in a way that I couldn't say it. Like I knew that I felt this way, mm-hmm. but thank you for just hitting this nail head on and I'm going to send this to my yeah. <laughs> my family who are conservative like or, or whatever. And it's, it's <laughs> you know, they're oftentimes little bite-sized, you know, one minute to, I'll, I've started doing some longer form content, you know, maybe seven minutes, some of the longer videos are. But like, you know, allowing people to sort of get to to home in on exactly what they intend to say or what they already know that they feel about something, but just giving them an organized way to present that information, I think is it's 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 really important. I don't really target a lot of my content to to diehards that are just dug in on the opposite side of things. Mm-hmm. My content is more geared towards people who are maybe they're just curious about these topics or they're on the fence or, you know, they're, they've been debating with people and they're maybe just mulling things around. And it's it just kind of helps you lock into the, the core and the, the crux of those topics a little bit uh, more securely. Um, I don't really have any interest in, in debating people who who just want to come in with guns blazing. I just there's mm-hmm. no as I've I've moved forward with with this this process or you know I I just they, I know that there's no thorough point. There are some people who just they just like to argue, right? And that I'm not interested in. <laughs> um, so I think yeah, it's important to have the conversations to kind of help to help the folks who are interested in doing better, who are interested in learning, who don't necessarily have time to go and read an entire book on anti-racism. Maybe it will encourage them to read a book mm-hmm. on anti-racism, but they haven't really taken that step. They they haven't really been proactive about it. But like, hey, it comes up in your feed, and maybe you're kind of curious about it, and it and it helps to crystallize some things, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so valuable. I mean, that's been one of my experiences with podcasting as well. It's sometimes you just need somebody to give voice and words to what it is you're trying to do right. with or 
or figure out. So, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Well, we couldn't end this interview without talking about your musical career. Um, Yes, you've won so many awards from Nashville Industry Awards to Grammys. Um, Can you talk about your experience in the music industry? Um, yeah, well, I don't. I don't have a Grammy. I wrote for a Grammy-winning album. I wrote the title okay. track for Keb Moe's. Uh, he's a blues singer. His he won the Americana Album of the Year for an album called Oklahoma, which is where I'm from, which is why he reached out to me and asked me to co-write the title track with him. So that was that was a really cool experience. One of the only co-writes that I did when I lived in Nashville, and I just moved away a couple of years ago. First to the New York area, now I'm in uh, Philly. And so, yeah, the, the crux of my music career was spent in Nashville and, you know, being a so-called quote unquote jazz singer in Nashville is is an interesting thing. <laughs> so um, it helped me to, I think it helped me to distinguish myself uh, because there are not a ton of jazz singers there. There are, are plenty. Uh, but by the time we left, I really felt like we had done everything that, that could be done in jazz in Nashville. You know, we had won the awards. Um, our what was it? Uh, Nashville. The Nashville scene had named uh, me the best sing- jazz singer in Nashville. My husband was the the best uh, jazz player in Nashville. So I'm like, okay, you win those awards, you got to get the heck out of Dodge. You don't just keep sitting around <laughs> waiting for somebody <laughs> to pat you on the head again. Like, get out and and you know make your your career worth something. So um, there's a lot to be said for being in. Uh, what I call being up under the spout, you know, physically the, the, the proximity principle is, is very real, you know, placing yourself in an environment where 
people are, are doing the kind of thing that you're doing and you can be interacting with people who actually have some, you know, the ability to uh, make decisions on your behalf and things like that. So that's the, the portion of my career that I'm in right now. It's just like I've put out, I'm getting ready to put out my fifth studio album in June and it's self-titled Dara Star Tucker. Um, so we'll be putting up the pre-order link for that really soon. So I'm, I'm really excited about that process. And we're working with kind of a, a mid-size or smaller label now called Green Hill Records. And they're really going to help help us to kind of get our music into more playlists. And, you know, we're working on getting more placements, you know, with, with publicity and just getting things up to, to the next level is I... I, I experienced a lot of frustration, I think, just kind of trying to do what I did in Nashville. And I still have a lot of, you know, residual like, oh, God, you know, I should have moved to New York 10 years ago. Why did I not start this process 10 years ago? But it just logistically just did not happen. It could not happen, could not have happened until it happened. And so I'm just having to accept at this point, it's like, this is how it's, this is how it was supposed to be. Um, it's happening in the way that it needs to happen. And it's really cool now to have um, a social media following that I do, even though the majority of them don't necessarily follow me for music. But now they're there. And so we're going to talk about music <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> they're going to hear about my music. You know, if, if, the, if the algorithm will show it to them, mm-hmm. that's a whole other other issue. Yeah. But, you know, a video for me a few years ago, if I, if I had on Instagram a couple hundred views, that was like, that was pretty cool, you know, put up a music video. And so now, you know, I'll get a couple thousand, you know, several, you know, maybe 10,000 views or something, which is not amazing on TikTok or or Instagram, but it's exponentially better than it was just a few years ago. So it's really cool, you know, and then so now the process is how do I merge these personas? How do I merge these identities? How do I make all of this live together, um, hopefully seamlessly, mm-hmm. and to, to get a lot of my followers to the point where, you know, like you were saying, Samantha, where you're like, okay, you do this and you do this and you do this. And, you know, I loved this version of this song that you did. And then, you know, your, your activism thing also, that's, that's the goal now is just mm-hmm. like make sure and, and get the music out to people because I think there is, there's a continuum between these, these things. I think that the, the essence and the core of who I am with these videos, with these uh, video essays it translates to the music once you start, once you hear, I hope that, I mean, and that's probably more for you guys to say versus me, but once you hear me sing, I hope it makes sense that like, oh, okay, this goes with this. These are like partner things and it feels like it's coming from the same space. I hope. Oh, it does. I, I like, I think I absolutely, it made perfect sense when you yeah. were posting your music. I was like, oh, but also your voice in itself, just you speaking is very melodious. So I'm like, yeah, oh, of course she you. can sing, obviously. <laughs> so like it, it translated you. to me in that way. Um, thank you. And you know, because we have to have your expertise outside of your own albums, obviously, for those who are getting into the <laughs> jazz and blues genre, can you give us like a starter pack for what we should be 
listening as oh, we go through this. I love giving music recommendations. <laughs> um, in the in the sort of jazz-ish world, my favorites would be, uh, number one, I would say Gregory Porter. If you don't know who Gregory Porter is, he's just magnificent and wonderful. And there is there's none greater in terms of his writing and his singing. His, his, his um, original music is really my favorite. I would say someone named Jasmia Horn is one of the just the finest jazz artists that's out there right now. Samara Joy just won uh, the award for Best New Artist and Best Jazz Album. Is She's one of the more brilliant singers out there. There's a singer called Cecile McLaurin-Savant, who is so quirky and just original and so interesting and just, she's just incredible. I, I, I just love her. And then uh, my fifth recommendation would be a singer named Liz Wright. And she's been out there since the early 2000s, just being absolutely incredible. So those five singers would be my top recommendations for, for jazz, if you're interested in that. And, and I don't go, you know, my music doesn't go deep. It's not like a bunch of really complicated jazz solos all over the place. And, you know, some people really, really love that. The music that I do is much more pedestrian. It's really just kind of singer-songwriter stuff that's set to a jazz bed. So it's very vibey and earthy, and you're going to hear real instruments, and you are going to hear solos, but it is all very melodic. And I think it's fairly easy to understand. I don't think this stuff is heady and hard to, to get into, and, and none of the music that I recommend it is either. So it's it's for us. I call myself a small brain when it comes to music. I'm not I'm not a really you know smart, complicated jazz musician at all. I don't I didn't study at a conservatory, and I don't I'm not very good at, at music theory. So it's it's music of the people. You're great at music history, though. I will say that. <laughs> um, but you know, also the sounds like because I'm I don't know if you know much about it. I'll have to talk about it a little bit. I'm starting to get into what's called cozy gaming, in which you try mm. to play cutesy games while you're all cuddled up. That music sounds like it might be right there where okay. I need. So I'm all like comfortable and getting into my yes. getting the good vibes and good states. Yes. So I'm yes. going to remember this list because I think I'm going to need this. As yes, I, please do. I, I hope you. I <laughs> really hope you enjoy them. These are some of the most are just the most talented people on earth. And I, I just think they deserve just all of the, whatever, all of the publicity they could possibly get. And that's what we need. We want to hear more of that. Yeah. And of course, yes, you have talked about your album. So let's get that plug. When is it going to be out? When do, where, where do we find it? All those things. Well, it's going to be, there's actually a link in, in my bio and social media now where you could theoretically, pre-save <laughs> the album. I have not even talked about it. I haven't put it out there, but it is in my bio. And so it's called Dara Star Tucker. It's it's named, it's, it's self-titled and it'll be out. I think the release date is June 3rd, but we're going to start releasing singles starting April 7th. And so you'll see me talking about it online. And, and if you do just say something, interact with it, share it, something so that the algorithm picks it up because it, it can be a challenge to try to get those music posts to get the same kind of, you know, reach as the informational stuff that I do. So that's my challenge now. It's just like, how do I find creative ways to share this stuff? And so we'll see going forward whether I can create some visuals that really help people to to lock into that. Um, but there's a there's a singer that I really love named Emily King. I don't know if you guys know who she is. I love Emily King. If you don't know who Emily King is, she's not jazz. She's more like the pop R&B, like alt R&B. 
one of my favorite performers out there, but she's so good with these visuals and helping to, to get these little grooves and these beats in people's minds and just creating really interesting ways, you know, in the social media space to, to share her music. So she's a real inspiration for that. So we're going to see if we can be really creative about, about the messaging around this album. If you, if you actually see it in your feed, then you'll know we've been somewhat successful with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. Um, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yes, uh, can't wait to check it out. And we have a tour, a tour coming also. So I'll be posting those dates too. Like we're yes. going to be oh. doing uh, album release shows. I'm so sorry to jump in and yeah. interrupt, but no. yeah, that all starts in June. Okay. Uh, we'll be doing an album release show in my hometown in Tulsa. We'll be doing one in Nashville, where I spent. 15 years of my career. We'll be doing one here in New York at Jazz at Lincoln Center. So just, yeah, and here here in Philadelphia at South. So all of that stuff I'll be sharing on on, on the socials. Yes. Oh, you coming through Atlanta? Because we'll be there if you come through Atlanta. Uh, we're going to try. We're gonna try. We're, we book ourselves. So we're still looking for a booking agent to kind of okay. help us to set up some real, you know, true blue tours. But, um, you know, we would we would love to come through Atlanta. Yes. That'd be so cool. <laughs> and LA. I think we're coming to LA too. Nice. Well, yeah. where can uh, the listeners, the good listeners, find you on these social media to learn about all this stuff? I am at Dara Star Tucker. Um, uh, Indy Aries tells me to say Dara with one R, S, a star with two. So Dara Star Tucker, D-A-R-A-S-T-A-R-R Tucker. On, on most socials, on Instagram, I'm Dara Tucker B. But everywhere else, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, I'm Dara Star Tucker. Yes. So definitely go check that out, listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a delight. Thank you all for having me. I, I love having conversations like this with smart people. So thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you so pleasure. much for joining us. This has been amazing. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Anytime. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. Yeah, just just let me know if you, you'd like me to participate in any other conversations. I'm, a, I'm always up for it. If I have the time to do it, I, I would be up for it. Absolutely. Awesome. Yes. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, listeners, uh, definitely go check out Dara Star Tucker if you have not already. Uh, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stephanieandmomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at stuff I never told you and on YouTube also. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stop on Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. 
This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.